0: Many uh, years ago, a group of students were on a ship crossing a sea. Now, the sea, this uh, journey across the sea was something they did fairly often, and so they left with kind of the utmost confidence that they would make it to the other side of the sea with zero problems. But all of a sudden, the sea grew dark, and the waves began to rise, and a mighty storm began to engulf their small ship. As the waves grew higher and higher, and the rain started to come down heavier and heavier. And more and more water began to fill the boat. Spray of the water coming off the seas mixed with that downpour of rain made it nearly impossible for them to see. Havoc began to ensue as those students tried to find a way to control this boat, right? They they couldn't even see where they were headed, but they were hoping that they weren't going to crash. The students began to wonder if this was the last moment of their life. And while doing everything in their power to keep this boat above water, they were pretty sure they were going to be taken under by the storm. One student caught a glimpse in the middle of all the turmoil of someone who looked like they were sleeping. Fearing that this person might be dead, they ran over quickly to wake him. Now this man was their teacher, their leader. They shook him awake in panic, saying, you don't even care about us, we're all going to drown. Their leader stood up with pretty much no regard for the powerful storm and he spoke. Now his words were confident and strong. They were commanding and firm, yet somehow still gentle and comforting. He, however, didn't speak to the students. His words were directed out towards the sea, and he only spoke three words. But those three words changed everything. Not only was confidence restored between the students and their leader, but the waves and the storm dissolved back into a peaceful, gentle, beautiful sea. The three words that were spoken was peace, be still. And the leader who spoke those words was the son of God, Jesus. And I believe that he's here today wanting to speak those very same words into your life. We're in our Advent series and we're actively anticipating the coming of Jesus by reflecting on his first appearing on earth as he came as a baby until his death and resurrection. And also on how Jesus is still showing up in our lives today through the Holy Spirit. And yet, as Victoria talked about earlier, we still anticipate the one day that he'll return and restore all things. Last week, we talked about how God is our hope and how we can have hope amid everything that's going on around us. In Isaiah 9, chapter 6, there's a prophecy about Jesus. And it says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Now, this is a verse that we read fairly often through the Christmas season about the promise of Jesus' first coming, that thing we celebrate during this holiday season, right? that he is the Prince of Peace, or the Prince of Shalom in Hebrew. And he comes from his Father, who, if Jesus is the Prince, is the King of Peace. And I believe right now that God wants to speak, Peace be still, louder than any other time in history into our world. Right? There is more hustle and bustle than any other period of time right now happening in our world. People's schedules are filled to the brim, both parents now having to work, kids being involved in more activities at their school, and the expectations of schoolwork are is higher than any other generation. Right? When your kids say, you don't understand what it's like to be a kid, and you're like, I had homework too, the reality is, There is more pressure on students today than there ever has been, right? It's not the world that we grew up in. Even myself, the students that are in school now have more expectations than we ever had, right? And that adds pressure back on parents. I'm sure as I said that to you, you're like, please don't. Please don't let that be true, right? I don't need that, right? Employers are expecting more out of their workers, more time, more commitment, and more work. And there's no escape from social life with social media available at any and every moment. Right? The demands of society, our social, our career, our family, they're higher than they've ever been before. And we're seeing people, we're seeing that people are not created to handle this kind of pressure, to be able to meet those expectations. And then you throw on all the busyness of the Christmas season. And it's no wonder that more people than ever are being treated for anxiety and depression. Did you know that on average, one third of all Americans, of all ages, right from elementary students to senior citizens, one third of them are dealing with anxiety or depression, and they're vocal about it. There's even more than that that struggle in silence. That's not in silence. But in all of this, I I do believe that Jesus wants to say to our lives and to that thing to be still, right? (laughs) Over the duration of my life, and especially the past few years, I feel like God has been trying to tell me to slow down. when I find something that I enjoy, I'm somebody who who gets really into it, and I want to get things started right away. If there's something that's new happening in my life, I just dive in, and I want to be fully into it. But I feel like God, on the other hand, works kind of in a different time frame, right? He, he may give you glimpses of things. He may put stuff on your heart, but he's not ready to dive all in because he's preparing you and prepping you, and his time frame is not our time frame. Corey Ten Boom, a Christian author and speaker who um, lived through the early 1900s and passed away in 1980s, um, was arrested and sent to a concentration camp during World War II, for saving over 800 Jews by hiding them in their house and, and um, protecting them and sending them out of their way. But she has this quote that says, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. Right? When we become busy, especially too busy, which is really easy to do in our culture, we not only have less time to do the things that God asks us to do, but we don't have time to spend just being with God. Right? Let alone doing all the things that he would want us to do. And that time starts to become less and less and less often. Listen to this quote from an article about the lie of busyness. A difficult societal norm for people to overcome is that being busy somehow means being successful. Being busy isn't the key. Being productive is. Successful people have learned that being busy is a waste of time. A huge waste of time. In my experience, the most successful people are those who get the most important things done every day not the most things, and then get out of the office. Later in the article, they defined success to make their point even more clear. It says, success is achieving it all and achieving it in a manner that does not leave one fried, exhausted, and empty inside. Right? How often do our pursuits of life and our busyness of life leave us feeling fried, exhausted, and empty? In another article titled The Cult of Busyness, I found this quote from Mary Waller, who's a professor of organization studies at York University. It said, historians have documented that after the Industrial Revolution, time suddenly became equated with money. The more busy you were, the more value you had. It went beyond just a status symbol. It became economic. You increased your economic value if you could cram more work into an hour than someone else. What we don't understand in America is this is mostly an American thing, right? If you look at many other parts of the world, even places in Europe who, you know, most people would say are similar to us, wealth or status of value is actually shown by how much you don't need to work, how much you are not busy, you know, the amount of time you can take for vacations and rest and the things that you enjoy, but we have it backwards here. I find myself often saying when people ask, how are, how are you doing or how are things going? I often say busy but good. And it's been convicting me lately that am I trying to portray value by saying I'm busy? Is that something that's healthy to be saying? Now, there are seasons and times of life for being busy. All right? Nobody's saying that there isn't time to work hard. And Ecclesiastes says there's a time for all things. But it should not be your entire life. It's not a lifestyle that God promised to us. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus' yoke is easy to bear and is light. In life, we're not supposed to carry heavy burdens. We're not supposed to be dragging hard things through life. A yoke is essentially this beam that goes across the shoulders of an animal, like an ox or a horse, that's then connected to a plow or a cart so that they can pull it and do work. Never once have I thought of a yoke as being something that is light and easy. Right? And that's mostly because growing up, I thought this was like an egg yoke on my shoulders that Jesus put there. Um, But this yoke that Jesus has is made for work, right? God's not saying give up working. He says, I have a, a yoke that's easy for you to bear, right? Work was something that was commanded from us at the very beginning in the garden, but it was never supposed to be a burden that replaced our peace. The word for peace in the Old Testament Hebrew is shalom, as I mentioned before. Shalom translates directly as peace, but it entails so much deeper than the idea we have when we think peace. It means to be complete or to be whole, to have no gaps. So when peace comes, it's supposed to fill your life, to make you feel complete and to feel restored. When we're so busy that we don't have time for our lives to be whole, we will not find peace. And that's what Jesus came to bring restoration in your life, to bring you back to wholeness. But you got to make time for it. you got to find room for it. Because often, I think Jesus is here offering peace. I believe he's here saying right now that peace be still in your lives. And he's handing it out to all of you, but we don't receive it because we don't make room for it. I don't believe God just removes hardship from our lives, or that he will change our situations in the moment. I believe he can't but I don't believe that it always does. But I believe that God lightens the burden through giving us peace, and that is the yoke he wants us to carry. If we look at John chapter 20, here in just a moment, I'm going to give you a backstory for it, but um, this is three days before John chapter 20, Jesus had been crucified. Right The morning of John chapter 20, they found Jesus' tomb empty. And now people were believing a rumor that Christians had stolen Jesus' body to make it look like he raised again, like he promised he would. And even some believers were unsure of what had really happened. So we find in John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, who who, who was not with the others when Jesus came, they told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. What I want you guys to understand is God wants us to have peace. So often in this world, we feel like we can't live up to the expectations that are around us. Right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to exceed your work expectations so you can find that promotion you need to be able to afford your bills. Right? Trying to live the perfect Instagram life that you see everybody else promoting into the social stream. To be the perfect parent, the perfect spouse that we hear about or we read about but often we feel like we're going to fail. Does this sound familiar to you? Right? We begin to fear going out into the world and trying to succeed because of the weight of the expectations of the world on us, knowing we can't meet them. I know in my life I've been to that spot where I'm so overwhelmed by all the pressure built up to live up to people's expectations or the world's expectations of me that I just want to dig a hole and kind of hide in it, and uh, the hole I dig is usually my bed, and lots of blankets. And in those moments, I used to feel like God was going to be so mad at me for being overwhelmed, right? Because, you know, I hear all these things with God. I'm I'm an overcomer. I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to handle it all. But instead, here I am hiding. But I realized I was hiding just like his disciples. But the good news is that Jesus has come to bring us peace. In that passage, Jesus says three times, peace be with you. This is right after Jesus' death. Okay, his believers were hiding in fear, it says. They weren't sure if Jesus was coming back. Their whole lives were unknown in that moment, right? Have we just given up multiple years of our lives following this guy that we're not sure if this is really who he is? Is he really going to show up? Is he really rose from the dead? The whole world is now looking at us saying, we've you know, stolen the body. And they're going to come and find us, and they may try and beat us up, put us in prison. They were in a locked room trying to hide from people who might come after them. And guys, this just wasn't any believers. These were those who walked daily with Jesus. They saw the miracles of Jesus firsthand. They were the ones that Jesus said, the church will be built upon you. Now, I don't know what they were doing in that room. Were they praying? Were they talking about how to get back to regular life? Were they playing games? I really don't know. They were just hiding, it says. And then Jesus busts in like the Kool-Aid man, you know, and to bring peace to them. Oh, yeah, right? Um, I know you're all waiting for it. But Jesus didn't come in to condemn them. He didn't come in to be mad that they were hiding or afraid to shame them, to do any of that, but he brought peace. He brought wholeness, shalom. He wanted to restore them. I don't know if you noticed, eight days later, when Thomas is now in the group, it says they were still in a locked room. And Jesus shows up again to them. And again, he doesn't condemn. Again, he doesn't spread shame. He offered peace. When we are afraid, when we're hurting, when we're lost, when we're overwhelmed, Jesus doesn't show up to shame us for not believing in him or not having enough faith in him. He shows up to bring peace, to restore our belief in him. Now, there's two things I want you to walk away from this. is first that God can find you wherever you are hiding. There are times in my life where I've been hiding from God because I don't want the pressure. Right? I've messed up too many times. I don't know what to do next, but he always finds me. Often he speaks to me through songs. Sometimes it's even through movies. Sometimes it's strangers. Sometimes it's just in a random time that I don't feel like it, but I pick up my Bible and I read the right scripture at the right moment. Sometimes it's old friends that, that reach out and remind me of my calling and my purpose. I think of Adam and Eve at the very beginning in the garden after they sinned, right? This first sin that condemned all mankind. Imagine the the, the shame, the condemnation that they were putting on themselves. So much so that they went and hid from God. They knew what time God always came down to hang out with them, and they went and hid. But what did God do? He went and found them where they were hiding. And he didn't shame them. He actually covered their shame. And he restored them. He did not want them hiding from him. He wanted to comfort them. Psalm 139 says, there's nowhere we can go to get away from God. He knows when we wake up. He knows when we go to sleep. He knows it all, guys. You you can't get far enough away from him for him to not be able to find you. He loves us still. He will always love you. He loved you enough to send his son to die for you. I can think of countless times where God has busted through the doors, the locked doors of my mind and my heart to bring me peace and to restore me. Often God has found us while we're looking for peace in the wrong places, right? I think of Elijah in 1 Kings 19 in Mount Sinai. He's going through depression. He felt alone. He was believing a lot of lies. He was telling himself and he was upset with God and he ran off into this cave in a mountain. Now God shows up and asks him, what are you doing here, man? And he goes on to complain about everything going on. He's like, I'm the only one left that follows you. You don't even care about me. You've left me all alone out here and all these things. And God actually doesn't respond to him in a normal way. He actually just kind of ignores all of Elijah's complaints. And he says, hey, how about you come out of this cave? I want to, I want to share something with you. And Elijah walks, watched this windstorm that was so strong that it was moving boulders down through this valley of these mountains. Followed by an earthquake that shook everything around him. And then a huge fire. And he's probably like, God, what are you trying to tell me by all of these amazing things I'm witnessing? But it goes on to say that the Lord was not in any of those. But he was a small, gentle whisper that followed all of those events. I think we often get caught up like Elijah in all of the big distracting things happening in our life. Saying, God, what are you trying to tell me right now? What are you trying to say by these storms in my life, by the earthquakes, by everything shaking around me? He must be teaching me some lesson by allowing all this stuff to go on. But I think often all he's trying to teach us is to lean into him and hear his whisper. To take off the heavy yoke that we think we have to carry, the burden of the world that we put on our shoulders, and replace it with shalom. Right? To look past the loud chaos and lean in for that whisper. The second thing I want you to know is that God is not mad at you. He's not mad at us when we're overwhelmed with life. He gets it, right? He is not upset when we're afraid. He doesn't come to condemn, but to bring peace and to reassure us that he is with us and he wants to restore us. Romans 8 uh, verses 1 and 2 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, The power of a life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Because God has defeated sin, because Jesus died and rose again, when we come to know him, we're able to share in that freedom. We don't have to be condemned, right? And God doesn't ever want us to feel ashamed or overwhelmed, but to understand that we are supposed to lean on him. When God spoke to Elijah on that mountain, he didn't say, I can't believe you're hiding here, and that you're believing all these lies that you're telling yourself. You have too much work to do. Get back to work. He reminds Elijah that he's not alone. He speaks some truth to him. And then he says, this is what we're going to do. And he gives him a few steps to get back to the life that God had planned for him. He literally says, you know, head over here, do a couple things, and then we'll see. We'll, we'll go from there. It's going to be better. He took off the heavy yoke that Elijah placed on himself and replaced it with one that he could bear. He brought shalom because he restored him back to his calling. He brought wholeness back to his life. You know, in John 20, Jesus appeared to the disciples, and then he later came back and he appeared to Thomas. But Peter left. One of his main disciples, the the rock the church was going to be built upon, just quit. He wasn't in the locked room. He wasn't hiding. He gave up. He went back to his old life. Right? He had denied being a follower of Jesus three times in public while Jesus was on trial. Right? This is the same Peter that Jesus said, you're going to be the foundation of the church. Yeah, that guy denied being a follower of that same person. You think maybe he felt a little bit of shame? You think he was maybe condemning himself a little bit? Because what we find is Peter wasn't with the rest of the disciples. He wasn't in that room. He went back to being a fisherman. He gave up on the calling God gave him that Jesus called him to, and he went back to his old life. In John 21, we find that account of Jesus coming to meet with Peter. Peter's back out fishing, doing his old day job. And some man calls from the shore and asking about the fishing, as all guys do when you pass someone else fishing, right? How are they biting? You know? That's basically what Jesus did from the shore. Hey, how, how's it going? And the guys in the boat say, we're not catching anything out here. And Jesus says, have you tried the other side of the boat? And like all fishermen, they're like, you think I'm an idiot? Right? Um, no, like, for some, that's how I would respond. Who do you think you are? You know, this is my job. But for some reason, they fish the other side of the boat. And all of a sudden, their nets are so full, they can't pull to fish it. And Peter immediately realizes that this man on shore is Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat, and he swims to shore. Because Jesus found him where he was hiding. He didn't, he didn't call him out. He didn't do anything. What he began to do was remind Peter of how he was first called. And he brings him back to shore. And Peter comes before Jesus. And Jesus said, Peter, don't you love me? And Peter said, well, yeah, you know that I do. And he reminds him of his calling, then feed my sheep. And this happens Three times. And I think it was one for each time that Peter felt the shame for denying Jesus, that Jesus was restoring him back to who he was fully and saying, it's okay. I don't care what your past was. It doesn't matter who you were, who you've been, where you went to go hide. You have a job to do. And I'm here to bring peace, to bring shalom and restore you back to wholeness, back to the life I've called you to. He didn't care about Peter's past, but his future. And he sent him to go back out to it. And that is wholeness and restoration and peace that Jesus brings to offer to all of us today. It's not shame, it's not fear, it's not anxiety, but it's peace that's offered, no strings attached. It's not based on your past. It's wholeness in your life, a yoke that was made for you to bear. The best thing is God's peace is the best peace. Philippians 4, 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God's peace goes to all the places that don't make sense when it doesn't make sense. It's a peace that fills the gaps, it's the peace that makes you whole instead of leaving you empty. Right? If you struggle with anxiety or shame or the feeling that you can't live up to the expectations around you, there's God's peace for that. And the best part of all of this is that all you need to do is tell God what's going on. That's what Jesus said Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Place your burdens upon me, and I will give you my yoke, which is easy and light. We try and hold on to our burdens. And this verse says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. This verse literally says, Throw your burdens on me. In all the ways possible, cast them on me. That's the only prerequisite to getting the peace. Right? The next time you're about to vent and you open up Facebook, I can guarantee there's no peace on Facebook. All right? But instead, vent to God. Sometimes I think we feel like we can't pour it out on him. And uh, a youth pastor of mine, when I was in youth, uh, shared this with me, that God has the biggest shoulders. and He can take whatever things you need to pour on him and whatever language comes out of your mouth uh, because God's big enough to handle it. We need to pass it off to God. Trust me today that he's already found you, that he's here, he's ready for you. And he's saying you can live life again. You can continue to live the life that God called you to. You can pick up right where you left off. There is no, you know, going back and restoring things. God restores and puts you in the places that he has for you. God doesn't want us to hide from him, but he wants us to be with him. When Adam and Eve sinned, like we talked about at the very beginning, because of their sin, they were kicked out of the garden. Right now, everybody thinks, oh, this is a consequence. See, God wanted to be separated from them, but that was not the plan. Right? We already know that God came to find them where they were hiding and and covered their shame and restored them. But God didn't want them to have access to the tree of life, which would somehow allow Adam and Eve to live forever. And that's why death was introduced and how death was introduced to our world. Now we see death as a curse. But because sin separates us from God, without death, we could never get back to God. And when death was introduced, it was part of God's plan to redeem us back to him through the death of his son, Jesus. And And through death, we enter heaven we can have peace that god knows what he's doing and that his biggest priority is being with us jesus understood this and that's why in that first story he's found sleeping in the storm right he had complete faith in god similar to a child who's asleep in their parent's arms through the craziness of life right through a storm through you know trials and temptations and everything going on sometimes kids can just sleep through it because they have full trust Right, Just as Victoria shared during worship. But yet Jesus still understands that we're not going to always be able to have that and live in that. And sometimes you just need to wake Jesus up and have him say, Peace be still to the world around you. Right, so what does that peace look like? You know, it's kind of a vague out there topic so far. And, but in 2 Timothy 1.7, It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God is not passing out fear or the inability to move forward in life, but he gives power to love as he loved and for self-discipline. Other versions use the phrase, a sound mind. Who could use a sound mind today? It comes from self-discipline. Have you ever heard the phrase, speak now or forever hold your peace? right usually it's used at weddings and you see it in some movie and some guy busts in and is like don't do it you know uh, It's it's that phrase but it's it's also used you know in an agreement when someone's discussing a, how a, a situation's going to play out and say okay you you've shared everything you need to share and if you don't share beyond this moment you have to hold your peace right you can no longer bring up issues you can no longer cause problems in this right And so when Jesus said, peace be still, in the original Greek, it's basically that exact same statement. When God got up and spoke to the storm, he said, you got any more issues or forever hold your peace? And Jesus is the answer for everything. There's nothing that can be brought to Jesus that Jesus can't bring peace to. He is the restorer. And when he speaks, peace be still over your life, He's calling out to every issue, every problem, everything that is concerning to you. And it has no answer to Jesus. It has to forever hold its peace. In Jewish tradition, we have a, there's a greeting during Sabbath or leading up to Sabbath that they say Shabbat Shalom. And it means to dwell in peace or to dwell in the wholeness. Jesus and God designed peace into our lives. And as I talked about at the beginning, it's not found in busyness, but it's found in rest. We've ignored it by ignoring our Sabbath. When God created, he rested to show us that we were made to rest and that we've been commanded to enjoy the world we live in. And staying too busy does not allow for that. Pastor Mason spoke a great message on Sabbath a few weeks ago, if you want to dig deeper into that. Now, God's peace is here. He's speaking it into your lives. You, you cast all of our burdens on him. We get rid of our yoke and be able to take his yoke. But you're never able to dwell in that peace until you choose to rest in it. Right? There is physical actions we can do to find more peace in our lives, and that's making appropriate time for rest and allowing to dwell in his shalom. And this is where self-discipline comes into play. Right? It's going to be a little bit counterculture countercultural for you to choose to not be busy in the world around us. But you need to slow down. Take time to reflect on him, and that's what Advent is about. To focus on what he's called us to and to let him restore you back to wholeness. If everybody could just close their eyes for a moment. If you're in need of that peace that goes beyond understanding, if you feel like You need your life to become whole again, to be restored, to be brought to that wholeness. And you want to ask Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to come and to speak into your life, be still. Would you raise your hand? Thank you, I see those hands. Let me pray for you. God, you saw the hands that were raised, Lord. God, I know that this is not a time of, of peace in our world, in our lives, Lord, that this cult of busyness is, is overtaking all of us, Lord. But God, I believe that you are here speaking peace be still. You're telling the world, you, you can't even stand up to me because I'm Jesus and I have the answer and you forever hold your peace. God, I pray that you would bring peace to these people's lives today. God, as, they, um, as we reflect on you during this Advent season, that we'd be self-disciplined, Lord, to place our cares on you, to pray about all those issues that concern us, the weight that we place on our own shoulders. Will we pass it off to you, God? And would you restore us to wholeness by reminding us of what you've called us to, you and you alone. God, I pray that you would give us the self-discipline to find a sound mind and rest, to find time where we can sit back in and dwell in the Sabbath, that we can dwell in shalom. God, I pray for those who've been feeling full of shame and, and condemnation that's not from you but from the enemy and from themselves, God, that you would speak truth into their lives. God, that you are here. You found them where they're at, whether they're watching online or they they made their way into the sanctuary today. God, you have found them. You are speaking to them. You are restoring them. You're not upset with them. You love them. You gave your son for them. And you just want to be with them. God, I pray that you would lead us out of here this week in peace. God, and as we reflect on you during our Advent reading and our song, As we invite you into our lives, we find that peace today and walk out of here with a a light, an easy yoke, a burden to bear. In your name we pray, Amen. amen. In a moment, we're going to do our Advent reading and then a song of reflection. During that time, I just want you to consider if you've been making a time for peace. What burden are you bearing? What do you need to give to God? And what do you need to do on your end to accept the peace that God is offering? Go ahead and listen to this reading. Today we light the candle of hope. Now we light the candle for the second Sunday in Advent. This is the candle of peace. As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, we remember that Jesus is our hope and our peace. From the prophet Isaiah.
1: For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9.6 And John 14.27 says, I am leaving you with a gift, Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Light two candles, see them glow brightly so that all may know how two candles show the way, making our darkness bright as God's day. Gracious God, grant that we may find peace as we prepare for our Lord's birth. May divisions in
0: ourselves and in our families be peacefully resolved. May there be peace in our cities and in the countries of our world. Help us to see the paths of peace in our lives and then give us the courage to follow them. Lord, let us remember that you are the only giver of lasting peace and that you are always with us. Amen. So as you go today, walk in peace and be like Jesus. Just like Jesus, we're called to spread this same peace. Peace is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, blessed are the peacemakers. Paul commanded us to keep the unity of the church through the bond of peace. At another time, he says, live at peace with all people at all times. During this season of Advent, not only should we live at peace, but we should be making an effort to bring peace to those around us. Go
1: and Shabbat Shalom. Dwell in peace.